is not that you say a prayer and ask for something to be delivered, whether it be somebody to be miraculously healed or a financial burden to be lifted or something of your heart's desire that you want. That's, that's not how prayer works. Prayer, prayer is a journey. It is a relationship with God. Um, yes, you ask for things. You, you go to him when you're um, in desperate need for things, for comfort, for healing, but it's not instant gratification. And oftentimes your answers to prayers are not what you would expect, right? So he also doesn't promise that your life is not going to be full of trials and tribulations. Uh, we're going to have difficulties on this earth. Um, and yet he is going to be there to try to make them as easy as he possibly can. But there are just things that you have to go through in this life. And he's not going to just remove all of those obstacles and make you just float through until the end of, of your days here and then miraculously end up in heaven. So the story I want to share is uh, something really personal to me. And it's been kind of a lifelong thing. My first experience with real prayer where I was on my knees praying with tears was when my grandmother uh, had a stroke. I was a about to become a senior in high school. My grandmother and I were very close. She was the person who introduced me to religion. She took me to Sunday school every Sunday. We'd read the Bible afterwards so that she could explain to me everything that I'd learned because I half of it didn't understand. And I didn't have uh, a Christian family. My grandmother was, was it. So when she had a stroke, um, the very first thing I did was run into the living room, get down on my knees and just pray, don't take her, don't take her now, like I'm not ready to lose her. And for about a week, she held on in a coma, basically. Um, I remember my dad and his brothers talking about, you know, is it time to make the decision? We need to go up to the hospital and talk to the doctors and you know, it was a school week, so us kids weren't allowed to go because you had school and you had homework and the hospital wasn't the place to be back then. Finally, that Saturday, um, my dad took us to the hospital to see my grandmother. And I don't know to this day, I believed that she could hear us, um, that she knew we were there. I held her hand. I told her how much I loved her, how much I was going to miss her, you know, knowing then that there was no bringing her back and felt a little squeeze back. And so in my mind, she heard every word that I said. Um, and the next morning she was gone. And I, I don't remember being really sad at that point. I don't remember crying. I don't remember being angry or upset. All I remember is peace. She was at peace. She'd gone to her Lord and she was happy. And this is gonna sound kind of silly, but I do remember being at Hope Cemetery in Barrie after her funeral and she was being buried and looking up and just seeing a beautiful blue sky with sun. And I could swear for an instant, I saw her standing there, like just standing there. I think our minds make us see things sometimes, whether it's true or not. But that was my first real experience of the power of prayer. I believe to this day that she was held in that space for that week to give my sister and I time to say goodbye because she knew that this was important and God knew it was important that we have this moment before she left this earth because that moment I think is what rooted me in my faith even though I'd stray many times 
through my young adult life. Like I would abandon going to church. I'd stop going to church. I'd go back to church when, when I thought it was time and then I'd leave again for whatever reason. Um, but God has always been a part of my life, whether I acknowledged him or not. And that I think is the important thing about prayer. It doesn't, you don't have to be in church every day for God to be part of your life. He's always there just waiting for you to call out to him. And that's what prayer is. It's how we connect with him. I think my goal in this next year is to make prayer more of a presence in our church because I don't feel that we really are. Um, I feel like we pray at church. Um, we pray probably during the week, some of us in our prayer closets or openly. I do speak to the mountains. I'll go out on my deck and have conversations with them. Sometimes not very nice ones, I'll tell you that. Like, okay, I've had enough of this, make it stop. Um, and usually the answer I get is, well, it's on my time, not yours, so be patient, but okay. <laughs> but I mean, there's there's truth in that, right? Like we find our time to pray to God and I'd like to make that more intentional for our congregation. I've heard people say, I get too many emails. I don't want another prayer request email. Please don't send those anymore. So I've done a little research. Some of the larger churches out there actually have an online presence where they have a hotline you can call. If you're in desperate need for prayer, you can call the pastor and say, I need prayer. And he can mobilize the prayer team to pray at that moment. Um, there is a page where you list the prayers of the week. All the prayer requests are just listed there. So you can go to the website anytime you want, see the list of prayer requests and then pray. And then there are scheduled times in the day as Jeff was kind of alluding to at the beginning where everybody in the congregation prays. You don't have to be in the same room to pray as a congregation. You have a designated time. Everybody's gonna pray at noon before they eat their lunch and you can pray the prayer list. You can pray something else. You can pray whatever you want, but the idea is that when we're all together praying, the power is even greater. One prayer gets to God and he hears it, but when we all pray together for the same thing, it's loud and harder for him to ignore because it doesn't get drowned out by all the other prayers that he's getting, right? There's like just this, I don't know how you describe it, almost like a bullhorn screaming out to him that Living Hope Wesleyan Church has, has a request. I, know, I need to pay attention to this. So that would be something I'd like to see is us being more intentional and working together in prayer. Lastly, I'll share where I've seen this work in this very congregation is during the pandemic. You know, none of us were in church. There were no life groups. We weren't gathering in person. We were trying to just kind of figure out how do we do this thing without being together. And the prayer team, which is a small group of us, decided to just meet online. We got a Zoom account from Jeff and every week we'd get together and we'd go through the prayer list and we'd pray together online. We'd each take turns saying a prayer. And for a long time, you could feel the connection of the Holy Spirit in that time. We weren't alone, we weren't disconnected. I know a couple of ladies who aren't able to travel to church physically, who were like, that was their, their way of holding on to people. They felt isolated and so alone because with the pandemic, the only people they were seeing were their healthcare people. Nobody else was visiting them because it wasn't safe to. So that time of prayer was their only connection to other people. And for me, that was huge because that was God. 
That was God giving us the tools, the opportunity, the time, and bringing us together to, to do something that he asks for. That, you know, all he asks for is that we pray, that we communicate with him. It doesn't matter how flashy it is, how professional it looks. It doesn't have to be pretty, but connect with him. That's all he cares about. So that's my prayer for today. You want me to pray now? Okay. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together on this beautiful first Sunday of October as we are in awe of the miracle that you bestow upon us with the changing colors of leaves and just the cool, crisp mornings. We just thank you, Lord, that we can witness the miracle of rebirth every season. Lord Jesus, we continue to lift up the people of Florida who are now in the process of rebuilding their lives and, and trying to figure out where do they go from here. And we thank you, Lord, for all of the miracles we're hearing out of that state of people that thought that their lives were over, but were, were found saved and rescued by emergency personnel. And Lord, as devastating as the losses are down there, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been present in their lives and that you will continue to help them through this very difficult time. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with our prayers, and we just pray, Lord, that you would help us unite as a congregation and pray more intentionally and more often with you. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. And uh, there is something um, mystical about the Holy Spirit. And uh, sometimes we deny it, but once you get to experience God moving, even though you're separated by space or miles, God is with each of us that profess his name and the power that he gives. So thank you for that reminder, Stacy. I just wanted to remind you and those watching online that uh, the sermon does get posted to um, a podcast, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts. You can find that there. And uh, we're trying to figure out the best way to utilize streaming and online, but also encourage gathering together as believers. And it's both and, it's not either or, but sometimes we sacrifice the uh, the best for the, eh, it's okay. And I don't know if that's always the right thing to do. But um, as we continue, we do thank you for your continued giving. Uh, online giving is available. People mail checks to the chapel campus. And of course, you can give here in person and it allows us to reach out. There is a special request in our local community of a uh, girl, a woman now, but she used to attend the youth group way back when my mom was leading uh, the youth group several years ago as a teenager. And now she's in, um, in need. And uh, one of her children is dealing with a specific health concern. So we're going to take up a special offering. We are going to assemble items from the hygiene pantry. I believe there's more needs uh, that are needed and we're going to try to get out a list to you so we as a church can be the church and for me it was kind of a cool connection that as a teenager you go to church you hear about god but as you grow up life hits you square in the face and now we're just praying that god would use us and other christians just to uh, give her some hope and uh, joy and remind her of the Savior that loves her so much. And so we'll get more information to you if you would like to uh, indicate on a check uh, for the special benevolence offering, you can do that as well. 
But as we uh, look this morning, we continue in Acts chapter 3. And when are we going to finish Acts? Because it's relatively a long book. I don't know. I just know that we're on Acts 3 now, and we're going to continue until uh, we aren't. So whether it's God telling me we aren't, or I'm disobedient, and I just get bored with Acts, we're just going to stay there for a little bit longer. But Acts 3.14 from a couple weeks ago, you rejected this holy righteous one, and instead demanded the release of a murderer. So this is pretty hard hitting. This isn't like, hey, bring your friend to church and we're going to point fingers at how bad they are. This isn't the sermon you would want your non-Christian friend to come to and say, hey, you rejected him. You're the one that messed up. Because what happened is they rejected Emmanuel. God with us, they didn't want anything to do with. And that probably could be said about us when God comes into our lives and God starts to change or rearrange the quote furniture of our home and God just says well I don't know if that's the best place for this you actually need to remove it because I have something better for you and we're like I think I want to reject your best I don't know if I want you to live and reside in me because I'm getting uncomfortable this is what Dr. Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus about You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of the fact that you killed the author of life. But there's two words right there, uh, but God. You thought that you had figured out how to escape. You thought you were smarter than God. You thought that your plan was going to succeed, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses to this. If you have the bulletin, there are some fill in the blanks because I don't know if you get bored, but sometimes, uh, not today, but sometimes I even get bored with my own preaching. And now you can uh, fill in the blanks and just be reminded of these scriptures. But God, there is that... uh, Three-letter word, but you thought one thing, but there's a turning, there's an epiphany, there's a realization, there's something that God is going to do. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You might think, like, I turned my back on God. I made my own decisions. I made my bed. I'm going to lie it. Forget, God, what he did back there. This is my life. But because of God's grace, because of his goodness, because of his presence, because of his care, he is always compelling. Wooing is the biblical word, wooing us back into relationship with him. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. This is the story of the crippled man that he said, hey, I need some money. I need to buy food. Maybe I need medical bill help with my medical bills. And uh, Peter said, hey, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give you. I give you Jesus. And we can give people the hope of Jesus by our very actions, which they did. Friends, verse 17. I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. Friends, in the uh, original language, it was brothers. But because some people say, well, that's sexist. Why isn't brothers and sisters? Well, instead of saying brothers and sisters and men and women and young and old, they just said friends, okay? This is the context of what this means. It means friends, you that are listening. I realize what you and your leaders did to Jesus I see it. I understand it. It kind of makes sense what you did. But this is you and your leaders. <clears throat> a few 
weeks ago, several weeks ago, I talked about who are you learning from walking with and investing in? Who are you learning from walking with investing in? Who are you following? Who are you choosing to lead you? Who are you listening to their uh, expertise or their experience or what they're trying to educate you? Who are you listening to and how is it leading you? Is it leading you into a way of ignorance or is it leading you into the close, passionate love that Jesus has. If I may, for a moment, bite your tongues, some of you. Uh, there was a class of younger students, and this boy wore pink, and this uh, other kids in the class said, why are you wearing pink? Are you a girl? And these kids started to tease the boy wearing pink, but then one of the teachers said, hey, you know Jeff, right? Jeff loves to wear pink. And all of a sudden, it took what could have been a point of making fun or picking on a student of saying, hey, if you wear pink, that doesn't matter who you are. And perhaps if we treated people like friends, if perhaps we followed Jesus instead of just in our own insecurities trying to fit in, instead of uh, making fun of kids for dressing different than we do or driving a car that, oh, well, that's a rust bucket. How does that make the person feel like maybe they worked hard day and night to get that as a teenager? They bought it with their own money. And instead of lifting people up, we're just following. Well, if you're cool enough, if you're successful enough, if you're going to look this way. So you are following these leaders that are leading you into ignorance instead of saying, we care about you. We care about what you're doing. Who are you following? Who have you chosen to lead you, friends. I mean, this is the enemies, you guys. Who are you? This is friends, family. Like, we're all in this together. Who are you listening to? Who are your leaders? Who are you choosing to invest in? What are you investing in others? I was speaking with Bethany, uh, well, this is probably a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> and she was saying that we are very fortunate that we don't have or did not have social media back in our day. And I, uh, I, well, I wrote a lot of love notes or letters, and I am so glad that those are not published in some cloud, that they cannot be recalled from some place so people could reveal them or show them or display them. I'm so fortunate. But as we were talking, Bethany and I were saying how I never thought of myself as a bully, but I did like to make people laugh. And so if it was like, oh, everybody's laughing at this one kid and maybe I can get that temperature of laughter a little bit higher, or if everybody thinks this is funny, if I can just make it a little bit more, then hey, they're laughing with me and I said something funny, but at what expense? We have a friend, Jeremy Kingsley, goes all around the country, all around the world, actually, and speaks. And he said he learned when he was young, you want people to laugh at you, not laugh at someone. And his uh, um, story is how uh, there was this one girl, she was going through a hard time. Everybody was picking on her and she was crying and everybody was laughing. So he took his whole uh, desk full of notebooks and books and he got up and like he was walking out all mad and he tripped on purpose and everything went everywhere and he fell and then everybody started to laugh at him, turning the attention away from that girl. And what a reminder that is like, man, what if instead of piling on and looking at something, 
we just said, man, what am I investing into people? Is it worth people following? Is it worth people having? Our leaders, what are we learning from them? How to treat people nicely, kindly, with grace? Or just to say, hey, they need to be more like me. I think Jesus would say grace. But Jesus said, this was done in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. So I came up with this. You might think it's great. You might think it's bad. But um, ignorance isn't necessarily bad, but it is uninformed or misinformed. If you don't know how to do something and you're trying your hardest to, I don't know, put washer fluid in your vehicle and you're just like, my vehicle acts like I need to put oil in my car. I need to put, this was not me. This was not me, but it is a true story. I need to put oil in my vehicle. So here's oil, I pop the hood, and here's like a whole thing that you put fluid in that it goes somewhere. So I'm just going to put, I don't know, I'm just going to put oil in my vehicle. And it was my smart brother who was valedictorian of his class. Sorry, Jamie. Um, So it was a windshield washer fluid. Now, he's a pretty smart guy, and it doesn't really make him bad, but he was definitely ignorant to the fact. So uh, you can be ignorant. And it's not bad. You're just uninformed or misinformed. What they thought they were doing was saying, no, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. They thought they were doing the right thing because the crowd, all the leaders, everybody was piling on and saying, no, Jesus is a false teacher. Jesus isn't the one you need to follow. They thought in their mind by the people that were gathering them that they were doing the right thing, but they were misinformed. And sometimes we live in ignorance, but God. It's not... You are condemned because you failed. You are condemned because you sinned. But God has love and forgiveness. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. But God was fulfilling his plan. God was using that bad situation to bring out something positive. And it's kind of nice when you hear somebody else tell a story of how they suffered and God used it. But when it's you in the middle of the suffering, like, come on, God, like I learned from their mistake. Why why do I have to deal with this? Why do I have to experience this? Why? Because God wants to fulfill in us. He wants to make complete in us. He wants to bring uh, completion, the uh, reality, the uh, incredible fulfillment of who Jesus is. And sometimes we can only learn as we suffer the fulfillment of God. We must suffer these things, but God, but God, that's his grace. Sometimes you say, but God, no. But when scripture says, but God moved, but God came, but God showed up, but his grace is present before you. He opened your eyes and you thought he was so far away and it was right there the entire time. He was there listening to every single prayer you ever said right here the entire time. His grace is for us, but God wants to fulfill in us something we don't believe we could do on our own. We would point to somebody else in church. We would point to another speaker that we listen to. We would point 
relate to somebody that is more mature in their Christian life. But God is saying, no, I want to fulfill it in you, in your life, and in your family, and with your friendships, and in your sphere of influence. I want you to understand my grace is for you to grow and to overflow on to others. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Jesus had to suffer to fulfill the prophetic scripture of the Old Testament. Well, if he was God, why did he do it that way? I, I don't know. I just know that's how scripture said it had to be fulfilled. And we start, when we begin to alter scripture and say, well, if I was God, I'd change this. The Bible really doesn't make sense here because it's too difficult in my own life. So I just want to change it a little bit. We miss the purpose of what God's trying to fulfill. <clears throat> but God must suffer. Maybe some of you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ that came out uh, several years ago now, Passion. Sometimes we think like it's sexual temptation and passion is such a bad word, but passion is what are you willing to suffer for and live through? That's the passion. God's love for us was his passionate love that he was willing to suffer, willing to obey and do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus desired to do. That, that passion to make his daddy proud. That passion that, oh, even though, God, if there's any way that I don't have to do this, I choose your will, not my will to be done. This passion that God has for us, we too will have this passion, this tension, this strain, this pressure, this, this uh, desire to, oh God, I want to get out of it. But the Holy Spirit working in us, we want to fulfill. We want him to fulfill in us what only he can do. And the only way we can do that is to now repent of your sins and turn to God. So yesterday we uh, said the Lord's Prayer, and the uh, the pastor that was officiating, he said, with this group, I just want to uh, share, we're going to say trespasses, when uh, in the Lord's Prayer, you don't ever know what to say, because some traditions say trespasses, others say something else. So now repent of your sins and turn to God. Sins is missing the mark. So uh, I know there's some hunters here, or uh, it's bow hunting, right? Is that for just deer, or is that every animal you can pull out a bow and shoot or shoot at? Or in a, I don't know, it's bow hunting. So I assume it's deer, but maybe you can shoot bear, whatever, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> if you miss the mark, so whether it's a target or as Vermonters, I guess, I won't get in too much trouble. If you're harvesting animals, if you miss the mark, it means you miss the animal that you wanted to harvest so you could have dinner that night. If you're shooting at a target or playing darts, if you miss the mark, you miss the bullseye. You might hit way over, or I just learned how to play darts. I'm terrible, but there's a way to score points, and uh, I guess it's a bar game. I'm like, wow, we should play this in church because it's actually fun. And anyway, so, but it's missing the mark. That's sin. So we all have sin. We all have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. We all have done that, but trespass is to intentionally miss the mark. So playing darts in Michigan, and I, I was really bad. Like, you're supposed to just, I guess, hold it here and just, like, shoot it. 
and I couldn't do it that way. So I thought, I'm just going to, like, huck it. Can you say that? That's how we used to talk. I would, like, take a crow hop and just throw it as hard as I could. And I that, that was a trespass because I intentionally missed the mark just trying to throw it as hard as I could, thinking maybe I'll make it, but I didn't. <clears throat> now repent of your sins and turn to God. Sometimes there's things that we just miss the mark because we're human, because we're ignorant, because we haven't gotten to that point of maturity and God's love for us to understand that he has something better. We sacrifice like, oh man, it was so much fun when I wasn't a Christian. And so uh, God will forgive me. So it used to be so much fun. So I'm just going to do it again. And we come back and we say, God, forgive me. And God forgives us. And we kind of choose to sin because we know we take, we take God's grace for granted. But there's also when God's like, no, no, repent and turn. This is a double, not a double negative. What's like when you say something twice and it means the same thing? It's a, I don't know. It's like bold print and underline. And it's like all caps. This is what it is. Repent means you're going this way. Repent means turn and go the opposite way. Repent means when you get to an intersection or a roundabout or you're using a rotary phone, maybe. I don't Repent means to when you get to a point and you don't know where else to go, you can turn and go a different way. It's your choice. Sometimes when we come to an intersection or a fork in the road or the proverbial Y or intersection, we look back and we don't want to go back what we already went through because we just barely made it through that. And now we have to make another decision. And God is saying we need to repent, turn from your sins. Instead of saying, hey, God, you love me. You'll forgive me. I'm going to take a spiritual holiday. And that used to be so much fun. So I'm just going to drown my sorrows in what I used to do. Hey, God, I'm sorry, but that was really fun. That kind of filled the void. I know you said that you would make me complete, that you would fulfill me, that I wouldn't need this other stuff, but uh, I don't really know how to follow you in that way, so I'm just going to give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, so I'm just going to go back. And But then God is saying, no, no, you don't, you don't have to turn back to where you are, what I saved you from. You can turn and go after me. You can go for me. You can know my love and just turn to God. Well, God, like in here, I know your grace. I know your love. I know your forgiveness. But he's saying, no, turn away from those things. Turn to God. Don't acknowledge God like, oh, my suffering, God, I need you. I'm just so filled with suffering. He's saying, turn to God. That your sins may be wiped away. Well, Jeff, I don't sin. You know, those people on TV, they really need the Lord. Oh, Jeff, you know those people in Montpelier, they really need God. Or you know those people, they... So that your sins might be wiped away. God is saying that we do not have to live in ignorance any longer. He is fulfilling his plan for us that we would know him and we could make him known. Now repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Verse tw- uh, First Peter says, Obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is from the English Standard Version. I like how for me it combined passions, what Jesus was willing to suffer, his passion for us, we have misguided, we've perverted, and we have this passion 
to live in our former ignorance? Why would you sacrifice that struggle for turning to God for that inner struggle of conviction and saying, hey, I'm just going to live in that former ignorance when God has something more? Repent of your sins and turn to God. It'll be wiped away. Wiped away. Uh, Jay, miss her, love her. She's awesome. She uh, went to early college last year at Norwich University. She took some medical. Uh, I don't even, she wants to be an occupational therapist. I don't even know what her major is because it's like health something and then a couple extra words on it. But how Jay studies, <clears throat> Jay handwrites and takes notes and notes and notes, which that's fine. But Jay takes notes on whiteboards and on those big post-it notes. And they're all in what was her office is now my office because I had to clean the church, which I know you're thankful for. But uh, now my office is full of stuff. And I was about to pull off Jay's notes and take down her whiteboards from my office because they're just covered and covered and covered with notes. But I, I couldn't do that. Maybe I'm sappy, but I was like, no, nah, I kind of like it. It makes me think of Jay. But wiping away from first semester to second semester, Jay wiped off those whiteboards so she could begin a new semester. Maybe there's something on your heart that you're just like, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is what I fear. This is what I hate. This is what I want to give to God. But this is just who I am. This is my past. And God's like, no, I want to wipe that away because I have a new season of life for you to be wiped away. It could be clean. It could be fresh. It could be new. Then times of refreshment. Times of, everybody say it together. Then times of, then times of, and once more times of, will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Times of refreshment. 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. That is refreshment. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. If the music team wants to come up, we're going to close with uh, how great thou art. The presence of God is for us. The presence of someone is that they are listening to us. If you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, it talks about uh, quality time. And quality time is not like, hey, sit next to me, I'll be on my phone and you watch whatever you want on TV. Quality time is not like, hey, you read your book and when I get to the end of the chapter, like we could talk about it. Quality time is not just saying, hey, I'm kind of like into my own thing and we'll get back together whenever, but like we're next to each other. Quality time is being present. I'm hanging on every 
every word. I care about your answer. I want to listen to what you're saying. A quick aside, I took my uh, nephew out to uh, eat last night because my sister said we could go for free. So I was like, hey, I'll take you out anytime I could go for free. And so Buddy was telling me a story. Buddy's 21. Buddy has his own life. I am not 21 in some aspects of Buddy life, Buddy's life. I did not find as interesting as if I was talking about myself. But as Buddy was talking, I had to catch myself and I was like, I want to pay attention to what my nephew is telling me. I want to be present in this conversation. I want to hear and hang on every word, everything that makes Buddy tick in this moment. I want him to know that I care for him, for what he's saying, for what he's going through, for what he's experiencing. And that is how Jesus listens to us. And we can listen to him the same because he has a lot to tell us, but he cares about us. Times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Be present with him. And if you'd like to stand, you can stand. We're only singing three verses, so it's not like just as I am. And they kept adding verses to get an altar call. So it's only three verses, but uh, for how great they are, won't you stand as we sing together? Thank you. 
Deb Brown, would you just close us in prayer? Just lead us from where you are. Amen. And you are dismissed.